Section 27 of The Early Hanoverians by Edward Ellis Morris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Book 2, Chapter 10, Remainder of the Continental War. The Battle of Fontenoy was followed by a series of successes in the Netherlands, Marshal Saxe winning for the French town after town. His campaigns are like the reversal of Marlborough's campaigns. Marlborough took some years to clear the French out of the many strong fortresses of which Belgium is full. The Dutch called them the barrier fortresses. When the process was complete, Marlborough was preparing to invade France, but his plans were frustrated by his removal from the command. Saxe was now reversing the process, gaining the same set of fortresses and intending, when they were all gained, to invade Holland. Other generals might have risked somewhat, have masked the fortresses, and not caring that the enemy would be to rear of them, had made a rush upon their prey. Both Marlborough and Saxe could be dashing, even rash when needed. Saxe was so naturally inclined in that direction that he put constraint on himself in adopting the method of fighting which was more in accordance with rules, the solid and careful mode which he adopted was, it may be added, approved by Frederick the Great. Yet the capture of Brussels was of the dashing order. In those days it was the fashion to withdraw armies from the field and put them into winter quarters. Before the winter of 1745 and six had ended, whilst the army was in winter quarters at Ghent, amusing itself with French lightness of heart, and whilst the court was unable to understand why Saxe did not return to Paris during the season of inaction, Saxe suddenly gave orders to march on Brussels, and in three weeks took it. His letters to the Austrian commandant, inviting surrender, are remarkable for their humanity. Saxe wished to preserve the suburbs from destruction and the city from plunder. Unfortunately, as the campaigns continued, Saxe became less particular in the matter of plunder. He, who at first would take no share, began to help himself, and the reason given is that he feared the ingratitude of the court and knew the strength of the cabals against him. In the course of the year, the strong places Antwerp and Namur, familiar as all these Belgian cities have been, with sieges and storming, yielded to him. In connection with the latter, he fought a battle which was a very murderous conflict. The Allied army was under Prince Charles, the brother of the Emperor. Duke William of Cumberland being engaged in that year in the Highlands. Prince Charles tried to force Saxe to raise the siege of Namur, but could not. Saxe kept him off until the town was his, then offered battle at Roucou, a little to the north of Liège, thoroughly beating him. The English troops, it is said, bore the brunt of the attack, and the French victory was very dearly purchased. By the end of this campaign, one may say that the road was quite clear for Saxe to invade Holland. In the spring of the following year, the French formally declared war on Holland, and invasion began at the western end of the frontier. Subordinate generals under Saxe's command promptly seized that portion of Flanders which Holland had conquered and joined to the province of Zeeland. The English sent a fleet to restore confidence, 
but the rage of the Dutch against their rulers led to a rising, in which the people demanded that the office of Stadtholder should be revived. It had been in abeyance for forty-five years since the death of William III of England. The Duke of Cumberland, having finished his task in Scotland, was back again commanding the troops in the Netherlands, and after his victory at Culloden, burning with desire to wipe out the memory of Fontenoy. The English and Austrian troops had in Roucou a second defeat to efface. King Louis was equally anxious for a battle. On July 2nd, the battle took place at Laufeld, which lies to the west of Maastricht, and not a dozen miles from the field of Roucou. Saxe perceived that the village of Laufeld would be the key of the fight. Cumberland apparently had not perceived it, and had only slightly fortified the village. When too late, fully to remedy this error, he poured his troops into the place in a huge column. It was like a repetition of Fontenoy, except that the column had its front protected by the village, moreover it was marching along a hollow road. The story runs that a friend said to Saxe, You were dying at Fontenoy, and yet you won. You were better at Roucou, and you won. You are too well today not to crush. A cavalry charge broke the Allied column. A gigantic effort was then made and the village taken, so that the movements at Fontenoy were repeated in reverse order, first the general charge, then the artillery from the front pouring down the column's length. The king complained afterwards that the marshal had exposed himself like a grenadier. Perhaps a still graver fault was that he did not follow up his victory, but allowed the Austrians, who had hardly taken any part in the battle, to withdraw unmolested. Again, it was generally expected that the immediate result of the victory would be the siege of Maastricht, but Saxe sent the lieutenant to continue the campaign on the western coast by besieging bergen Zoom. Now this town was thought a masterpiece of fortification, and it is still very strong. But up to this time it had never been taken, and though it has suffered many a siege, it has only been taken on this and on one later occasion by the French. Saxe wished to strike fear into the Dutch by taking their impregnable fortress. In sixty-three days bergen Zoom fell. Then of the strong fortresses, only Maastricht was left, and early next year he marched on Maastricht, duly besieged, and took it. Immediately on the fall of this last fortress, the preliminaries of peace were signed. It may be observed in connection with the capture of these fortresses by the French that tactics had changed. Instead of relying upon the slow process of sapping and undermining, the French brought up heavy batteries of cannon and bombarded furiously. This was a much speedier method. While in the Netherlands the French were gaining, in Central Europe and in Italy the Austrian cause prospered. Sardinia, which was watching carefully her own interests, joined Austria and England. The result was that the troops of France and Spain were driven back. But in June 1745, Apparently, as one of the results of Fontenoy, the Republic of Genoa joined France and Spain, and the balance began to incline against Austria. Both Milan and Parma were captured. 
After the Peace of Dresden, more Austrian troops, being no longer wanted against Prussia, were poured into Italy. In the middle of 1746, the French and Spaniards were defeated in the Battle of Piacenza. The Austrians followed up their success, and driving the Spaniards quite out of Lombardy, took Genoa also. Their next step was actually to invade Provence. Many of the French themselves could not understand the policy by which all the French efforts seemed to be concentrated on the war in the Netherlands, whilst so little energy was displayed in the war in the south. This side of the war must be remembered, as it helps to explain the eagerness of the French for peace in spite of the northern victories. When the Austrians had seized Genoa, they treated the inhabitants so badly, especially in the matter of exactions, that the latter rose against the troops and drove them out of the city. Of course the Austrians returned again and laid siege to Genoa. The queenly city, with its streets of palaces, rising tier above tier from the water, girdling with the long lines of its bright white houses the vast sweep of its harbour, footnote, Dr. Arnold, made a most valiant and heroic defence, holding out until it was relieved by the French, and not again falling into the hands of the Austrians. End of section 27